0: Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Bit of a different episode this month. Uh, also one very similar to we did last year, where we're going to talk about our favourite books of the year in general, our favourite books of the year that came out from Avery Hill Publishing, and then other nice things we've enjoyed this year, from this year, and from years before. Let's start by letting the team introduce themselves. We have a new member of the team. Would you like to introduce yourself, Sarah?
1: Hi, I'm Sarah Ray. I've joined Avery Hill to do marketing and publicity and share books with the world.
0: One thing that hasn't changed from last year is the existence of Ricky Miller. Ricky, would you like (laughs) to uh, introduce yourself?
2: Hello, I'm Ricky Miller. I'm the co-publisher of Avery Hill.
0: co publish you say? That means there must be another publisher.
3: That that is the rumour, although uh, I think in practice it's proven not to be the case this year. Um, It's Dave White. A parent co-publisher of uh, of Avery Hill.
0: Is this like you on telestate Is this your? Uh, <laughs>
3: is this is this
0: also your exit interview? No, you
3: this... said I could go first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this this was my fellow year. We, we alternate. but so so I'm I'm, I'm going to be doing it all next year. Ricky did it all this year.
0: So we'll be har- haranguing you for information next year. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it.
3: And that information will be going to someone like
4: I'm Kat, and I also do marketing for Avery Hill.
3: So, so we're going to start with our favourite Avery Hill books of the year, aren't we? That's right. And I have picked The Great Northwood by Tim Bird, which we released back in the summer at Elkath. It's It's Tim's first fuller or longer length comic, um, and we've been working with Tim since since we started out, which is you know kind of seven eight years ago now. So it, it, the, the first the first reason I've picked it is because he's kind of a it's a bit of a landmark for us, I think, from from someone we worked with put his first comics out when we were, you know, kind of um, working quite at quite a small level. I think his first comic, Grey Area, we, we did 50 and then another 50, something like that. Um, so so to work with Tim over this length of time and see his work develop and get to a point where he's, he's creating his first full-length comic is, is is kind of one of the main reasons, you know, I, I enjoy I enjoyed what we do at Avery Hill. But then the quality of it is also absolutely exceptional. It, Tim's Tim's concentrated on a um, the history of a part of South London, which was historically uh, cut, uh, woodlands, and, and over um, over time has been redeveloped, and um, the land reclaimed, and, and the landscape urbanised. And yeah, it, it's, it's, it's all of Tim's traits that you that you expect from his work. It's his wonderful poetic. Um, narrative voice, is, is incredible art matched this time by by an absolutely wonderful colour palette, and it just gently takes us through the history of of, of this part of South London and um, the people that have inhabited it and uh, incidents that have occurred in and around it, with, with uh, the Great Northwood being being almost the central character. And it's and it's loads of little things around it that just just really mean a lot to me. It's you know it's South London based, which is you know where where a lot of us are from. And where Avery where Hill comes from. As I say, so we've worked with Tim for a long time now and it's his first first longer length work. And it's just been really wonderfully received as well. And I think it's the first book um that Sarah you did a lot of work for us on. So, you know, it's just it's just kind of a demonstration of what what we can bring to a book as a as as a publisher now as well. So yeah, I think it's um I was, I was really proud to work on working it with Tim, and and as always with Tim, working on it from an editorial point of view means he sends you the finalised book, you read it and love it, and we publish it. So it's all, <laughs> it's also really easy to work on. So um so yeah, that's my that's my Avery Hill pick of the year.
0: I think in terms of high praise, I won't name the person, but a Yorkshireman. We know how they feel about Yorkshire. A Yorkshireman uh, said that after reading that book, he wished he'd come from London, only for a second <laughs> he wished to come from London. I mean that is. That's better than an Oscar, isn't it? Getting a Yorkshireman to admit that.
3: (laughs) That is impressive power for for, for, for a piece of work. The (laughs) power of Birds.
1: It it was amazing uh, doing publicity on The Great Northwood because absolutely everyone who saw it was like, wow. I mean, a lot of people feel like comics aren't for them and it was an example of what the medium can do. Um, without being sort of forced into one little corner of, you know, what people think comics are. It was absolutely beautiful and really resonated across the board. It's a really uh, nice one to get started on. Kat, do you want to go next?
4: Sure, Okay. Um, Well, my pick is um, Escape from Bitch Mountain by Comic Book Slumber Party. And I chose it because it was really hard to choose one to talk about, but... um, I was really kind of surprised by that one, not because I didn't think I was going to like it, but I have a kind of funny relationship with anthologies sometimes where they can, I don't know, they're not always the most, I don't know, the best reading experience because they can be sort of hit and miss. They can be a bit up and down. You can have stories in there that you love and other ones that you don't like so much, but I just thought this, this latest one from them was incredible and it had a really cohesive feel, which I just thought was brilliant. I'm also not a huge fan of like the fantasy genres. And that was another reason why I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to particularly enjoy this. But when I read it, I, was, I just felt like they had kind of leveled up so much and it was just so good. <laughs> uh, it's just so funny and it's so beautifully designed and drawn. And they've managed to pull off this kind of really difficult thing, as I said, with anthologies, which is having a really harmonious kind of consistent feel to it. And I think they've been really clever. Like a lot of the colour scheme runs through all the different stories by the different artists. And that helps to hold it all together. Um, And I really loved that in this one, I mean, the the main story that kind of the connecting story um, is, is it Karina or Karina? Do you know how you pronounce her name?
3: Yeah, it's Karina.
4: Corinna, yeah, her, her and Hannah's story that is the connecting, overarching story that connects them all. I love the fact that it featured all the characters from all the other stories <laughs> because I don't, I think in previous ones of theirs that I've read, that hasn't necessarily happened, but I think it really worked in this instance to just make the whole thing really cohesive and really kind of connected. Um, and it's just so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was brilliant. And it's, it has a really collaborative feel, too. Like, a lot of the stories are written by one person, illustrated by another one. There's one which is, um, I think, three people working together. And the whole thing just feels, like, really unified and really kind of just a fun collaboration. So, yeah, I loved it.
3: Yeah, I mean, H- Hannah k Chapman, who... who edited it um as it did an incredible job just firstly selecting a, an incredible group of artists and writers and and colorists and, and so on but then to keep everyone because there's so many people working on the book to keep everyone tied together as well uh, and keep everyone on track and um whilst still maintaining you know the narrative thread and and the the, the look and feel of the book i mean it's, it's it's just an awesome it's an awesome process to be part of when and, and as I say, it, it, this is kind of going back to, to my fellow. You know, I just kind of sat back and, and had um, coordinated all of this stuff. It was absolutely fantastic.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it was really clever what they did with the color palettes. Because, I mean, some of the stories, like, I think Jenny Muir's story has a bit more green in it. Uh, I mean, is it green? Yeah. And then some of the others veer off, but they all have this kind of purple, blue, pink running through them. Yeah. And it just it's I don't know. I just think they've kind of pulled off the impossible, which is an anthology where every single story is incredibly strong. And, you know, you, there were none where I was kind of like, oh, I didn't like that one so much. Sure. <laughs> it's just really, really good.
2: Lovely stuff. Ricky. So I was going to. Well, I had a bit of trouble deciding which books to talk about actually. Um I was gonna kind of plump for on the sunbeam and then I realised I'd spoken about that last year and also kind of everyone's talking about on the sunbeam. Uh so I thought I'd cheat and talk about Metroland four. Uh which not cheating. This is published by
0: Avery Hill. This is uh, it yeah, this is published
2: by Avery Hill. Um, who's the who's the creative team, Ricky? Let us know. Uh it's mainly Ricky Miller. It's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty so, much it.
3: You are actually, I thought you were joking. You are actually going to talk about your own... Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, last week, last time I joked saying I was going to talk about it, and then didn't, and this time, I actually am going to talk about it. This is, yeah, this is brilliant.
0: This is like this, like, this is Andy Kaufman jokes now, isn't it? This is like, uh, so inside. But the
2: good thing is, I will be brief. Uh, and that's just to say that I finally finished Metroland. And um, I'm very pleased we finished it. It turned out so well, mainly because of Julia. And, um, yeah, I'm very pleased to have got it out there and uh, done, basically. That's pretty much all I have to say about it.
0: Well, just to echo Dave's point earlier about sort of uh, Tim, you know, uh, on your behalf, I would say that Metroland was obviously a a huge personal passion project, and it it did evolve. You know, I've seen uh, the early pages where you're drawing it and writing it. You know, it it turned into a very different thing towards the end with all the sort of backup strips and pin-ups and all the the other uh, creators you got involved so you know from the outside it's been wonderful to sort of watch a project like that evolve and g- get completed there are plenty of things like that that you know um, people have the best will in the world but don't get to the end of it so well done
2: I guess Metroland's really the reason I'm even doing any of this now in that um, when Dave started his anthology Tiny Dancing I couldn't really think of what to do and then I decided just to do like a Metroland comic, uh, just to be involved, really. And then, yeah, if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be at Avery Hill now. Good God, that, that sounds like a terrible mistake. <laughs> Proper sliding uh, doors, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I, I think I always feel guilty about Metroland in that I very rarely talk about it because it always feels weird and that I should be talking about all the other books we put out. So I felt like, well, I spent that whole year talking about all the other books we put out, which are all awesome. So I'm going to talk about mine.
1: I think Ricky could learn a thing or two from the Americans about, uh, being more arrogant. (laughs) 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 Um, but I'm not going to do that now. (laughs) Um, I picked retrograde orbit, which from the second I saw the cover, which must've been in the spring of this year, I was obsessed with like the color palette and the design of Flint and Kristina um just amazing little juicy details in every single panel and frame. Um, you sort of grow up with this character Flint, whose family is, um, they were displaced by a nuclear disaster and they live on a mining planet, but all her life she feels a call toward um, their home planet, which may or may not be destroyed, she's not sure. Um, as an immigrant myself, it really spoke to me, that whole sense of not being quite sure where you belong. Um, You're sort of at home, but it doesn't quite feel right. And her family doesn't understand. Um, She feels this special connection with this place that she doesn't even know if it's a good place. Um, So it's just really lovely. And there's a lot of heart in it. Um, The design is just absolutely incredible. Each chapter sort of changes color. It's almost like you're going through the solar system and touching base on a new planet as you get closer and closer to the really wonderful conclusion that I won't spoil for everyone. I thought the detail in it was really the nicest thing. I think the story is a relatively simple one of kind of coming of age, finding where you belong and taking a journey. But the artwork is just absolutely every single frame has so many lovely lines and really nice colors. And um, it's just a really nice story overall. Um, I loved it because I love space. Um, that was a big part of it for me, but I connected in it with it in so many other ways that I hadn't expected. So it's one I would highly recommend.
0: Just to reiterate a point that came up when I was talking to Christina last month as well. One of the things I liked about it was, as you say, it's a story about being an immigrant and coming to a new place to live. But it's also a story about being an emigrant and about being aware of the place that you left behind. And there being a yearning for that, even if that place is mysterious or people tell you that it, you know it's dangerous to go there. Um, it's a sort of unavoidable, uh, I think, yearning for what you think of as home, even if it's not the place you're living at that time.
1: Definitely. And even when you know home might not be the best place for you, for instance, I don't really want to be in my home country of America right now. Um, It's a complex relationship that you have with where you're from or where you think you should be. Um, It's never straightforward. And I thought that was captured extremely well.
2: Yeah, I thought that... um, interview you did with uh chris semen was really good actually steve because um it, it definitely made me think about the autobiographical bio elements of it which when me and chris Simon were putting it together i didn't really think about at all because you're just more focused on the book and the story yeah, yeah so to actually hear some of that stuff was uh quite revealing
0: yeah because you know i'd read the book and enjoyed it and you know had sort of Uh, Had those those ideas echoed for me in terms of it being about a place that she's left behind, but didn't realize it was so Specifically about that in her family are from a place very close to Chernobyl so the whole idea of a a nuclear disaster that forces you to go away is uh, Sort of literally lifted and moved over from there, which is remarkable
2: Yeah, yeah, that that was the point I picked up on most I think Um, I was like, oh, yeah, of course
1: I think there should be just a little bit of extra love given to the kind of cinematic design, because I saw echoes of 2001 A Space Odyssey in her artwork, um, things like that. It was just really amazing all around.
0: I did ask her about influences, but of course, uh, Christina being Christina, if you ask her about sci-fi, she'll just want to talk about Star Trek. And that's, <laughs> it's understandable. It's understandable. I gave her the opportunity to talk about 2001, but... She just
1: the West <laughs> You can tell that the number of little panels and blinky lights in the background of every scene she's drawn. You can tell she's watched a lot of sci-fi TV.
3: <laughs> I, I think one of the most recurrent things I've come seen coming out of the reviews is is people's kind of absolute wonder that this is this was Christina's first first longer form work um, because you know obviously we've been. Um, big fans of, of, of her work for a long time and her self-published stuff, but to, to create something so accomplished and so um, so, so so wonderfully realised, you know, on your first attempt at a longer form narrative, I think it's just it's, it's an incredible piece of work.
2: Yeah, I kind of almost felt bad marketing it uh, in that kind of way as a debut because. Yeah, I mean, she's been doing this longer than we have, and um, (laughs) the body of work she's got behind her, it it felt odd saying this was a debut graphic novel when we all know that she's already as good as most people who have been doing full-length graphic novels for
0: a long time. Yeah, she's got to be well into, like, 20,000 hours by now. You're supposed to do 10,000 to be good at Zankin, and she's got to be (laughs) well ahead of the mark, I think. I selected Follow Me In, which is by a creator called Katrina Chapman, who probably Kat's probably feeling terribly awkward now because she's on this call and is part of the Avery Hill team but that's not why I chose it if anything I was
4: say, shall I, shall I mute myself for a little bit
0: no no <laughs> just okay. don't disagree with me when I say it's good Kat okay, that's, that's all I ask <laughs> um, yeah I, uh, I think uh, similar to Sarah where you are sort of intrigued by a project early on the premise of, of follow me and really interested me this idea of like uh, a travelogue uh, that relates to the story that Kat took to Mexico with her partner at the time, but then also the sort of memoir aspect, where uh, it's examination of, of that relationship and Cat's sort of uh, point in in life uh, then when she's sort of at a crossroads in terms of what to do uh, career-wise. Uh, you know, really intriguing. I know enough about Cat's work to know that it was gonna. I'd enjoy it, and it was um, a real delight. I was still. Uh, blown away by the sort of the, the depth and breadth and craftsmanship of the piece. I mean, it, it's um, just to be uh, crass, it's a big book and there's a lot of work on in. Like, even if it wasn't good, you'd sort of go, "Well done, you've put a shift in." But also, it's very good, um, beautifully coloured. Um, that again captures the place. I've never been to Mexico, but you know, as as a travel guide, it's worth a read. Just where it covers so many different places, folklore, costume, history archaeology architecture is you know uh so, so rich just in terms of relating that journey but then also the sort of auto bio aspect is really sort of interesting as well and uh weaves into the the larger piece
2: yeah we had we had a couple of sessions around my flat where we uh cat printed off every page and then um, we we essentially lined them all out on the floor and then kind of moved stuff around until um Uh, we were kind of happy with it that I I think that's the thing we probably spent the most time on wasn't it Kat from that point of view was kind of figuring out where everything went
4: definitely because I was aware that I was trying to put a lot in it (laughs) and I didn't want it to grow to a kind of crazy size project where I would never be able to finish it so I really needed Ricky's help in kind of keeping control of the structure and um telling me where to edit stuff and in a few places he even told me to expand bits a little bit which was nice because I thought it would just all be cutting (laughs) but um yeah I really really needed that that sort of editing eye to help me because when you're the creator and you're doing everything you're so focused on every little detail like you're, you're thinking about this one face in this one panel and is that is that face right and then to have this overview of the entire 248 pages and the structure and stuff it really helps to have someone else looking at it with you and for you and kind of keeping an eye on it all but yeah trying to work out how to get the balance of those different elements like the travelogue bits and then the um, the more factual bits um, yeah it was really helpful to have a good editor to work with on that.
0: Now, the balance was spot on and it really does feel like sort of bonus material, almost. You're getting so much out of the, the travelogue and, and the, the personal story, and then suddenly you just get this, like, page of animals native to Mexico. Uh, and it's a wonderful, as I say, complementary element, um, but not sort of dragging you away from the, the main thrust of it. I mean, part of the reason we're, we're doing this episode now is to sort of give people ideas for Christmas gifts. And I just think there's such... Broad appeal to this book with the the as say, if you're interested in you know travel generally Mexico generally biographical books you know there's there's a lot going on there and I think it would work as a gift for a, a great deal of people and if you go
2: through our shop you get free postcards as well oh. mm.
0: Merry yeah. Christmas
1: yeah I have to add I um I felt like. It's hard to almost categorize it as a graphic novel, Kat, because you did so much more. It's almost like reading a travel memoir from someone like um, Elizabeth Gilbert or Bruce Chatwin. Um, You've packed in so much as well as your personal story. And the art just elevates it so well. It's really soft and beautiful. Um, It was one of my favorites this year, but someone had already picked it. (laughs) <laughs> it was Kat
0: but then I took it off her just because I it was <laughs> just too awkward I would also say as well on YouTube and Kat you might be able to give us better sort of search keywords to go for but you put up a, a great uh, little film of you going through your sketchbooks from that journey
4: yes yeah um, if you just search my name on YouTube it's one of the first things that comes up so great. that's the easiest way
0: yeah I definitely recommend that because as I said, someone enjoyed the book it was you know bonus content on top of bonus content Okay, should we go round again in the same order and do our other favourite books of the year. Okay. <laughs>
3: yeah. <clears throat> yeah, let's see that. So, uh, my favourite book of the year, uh, comic book of the year from from someone that wasn't us, is *Homunculus* by Joe Sparrow, which was published by Shortbox uh, earlier in the year. Uh, I think it was part of uh, their their eighth collection of, of work. For those right. not familiar with the Shortbox uh, model, they put together um, a collection of Comics and um, illustrations and various other bits and bobs every uh, every quarter or so and um, and publish it and, and post it out in in uh, one box to your and it's it's, it's a great model and they're, they're, what they've been putting out is absolutely absolutely incredible and but it was homunculus that really stood out for me and um, I've been a big fan of Joe's work from his early kind of self-publishing days when he was putting out um, his omnipathy uh, series and Joe, Joe's got a background in Kind of animation and, and, and um, computer animation, you can really see that in his, in his style and, and, and the way he creates his, creates his art. This is a story about an artificial intelligence called Daisy, um, who, who is um, created and uh, by, by someone called Veronica, and, and it's just it's, it's the. It tells a, a cyclical story of Daisy's um creation and existence. So it's very much kind of in the science fiction um world, um which which is something Joe Joe uses a lot to, to, to great effect. And and it's really the story of of Daisy being, as I say, created and taught to think and appreciate art and, and, and so on and so forth and, and start to ask those obvious, you know, AI questions about humanity and what it is to be human and so on. And that that's kind of the first half of the book. The second half of the book takes a turn on, on on an event that takes takes place outside of the interaction between between the two main characters and I won't talk about that a great deal because it, it it kind of spoils where the where the story takes uh, where Joe takes the story and kind of where it ends up um the, These two really interesting characters, the AI and the creator, and the relationship that they build and and, and the teaching. Of of the AI and you know kind of the, the humanity aspect to it. Joe's use of the medium is absolutely exceptional in this story. So it, it's every page is is um, consists of three panels and it, and every panel is told purely from the perspective of the AI, which never moves. So it's it's the same panel again and again and again um, across the full the full length of the book. It's, it's, it's that it's the AI's experience of, of the moments that Joe Joe presents you with. So straight away, you know, something that that probably can only be um, a, 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 an approach that can only be really be done justice through through comics. Joe uses you know kind of the gaps between panels to, to leap forward huge um, periods of time, um, centuries in some cases. And, and it really is an example of uh, of, of something that, as I say, only comics can really do in that in that way. And Joe's absolutely absolutely nailed it. So kind of the combination of this really interesting story about two really well developed characters and their relationship, and then it takes on a more dramatic turn in the second half. Um, it ends kind of with, with, with in, on a positive note, and it's just a really really wonderful use use of the medium, coupled with um, you know Joe's kind of kind of underlying kind of dry humour and his wonderful art. So I, I, I was kind of blown away by it. I've, I've reread it probably more than um, any other comic this year. And I would, I would heartily recommend it to anyone to um to pick up and read.
4: The book that I've picked is Kingdom by John McNaught. And the, f- the first thing you notice about it, if you have a, a physical copy is the gorgeous paper, because as a no brow book, you're always going to get gorgeous paper, but it's, it is just quite stunning to hold and to kind of flick through um, and I've, I've been a big fan of his work for a long time I've got his other books but um, this one is, is just fantastic and it's kind of about what he what he gets across really well is the gap between sort of um, our expectations and reality and memory and reality So as human beings, how we often build up these kind of false ideas of things in our heads and then the reality is quite different. So it's kind of just a story of a family going on holiday, going for a seaside holiday um, in the UK. And there's a lot of there's something I'm really partial to, which is really mundane detail (laughs) in stories, but just brilliantly used like there's one page where there's nine panels of one of the characters drying his hands under a hand dryer in a service station (laughs) toilet um but it's just really poetic the way he draws it is really poetic and beautiful um and there's just these little moments where you you might not really notice what it's telling you until a bit of time has passed and then later on you kind of realize what's what's coming across He's one of those writers that the thing they always tell you when you're writing is to show, not tell. And he's brilliant at that because a lot of it is sort of very visual. And even when the characters are talking, what what you're getting from it is not what they're talking about. It's um, it's other stuff. You learn so much about the characters just through these little kind of hints and little visual clues and small moments. And so you you don't really realize it's happening, but you end up with these really fully formed characters by the end of it and it's just really beautiful visually his his color palettes are amazing and the style is quite sort of austere in a way it's quite sort of you know regular lines and regular shapes and the facial expressions are quite limited Um, and yet somehow you get this incredible depth of feeling from the story and I don't I never really understood how he manages to do this I think the colors play into it a lot but yeah, it's it's like full of feeling and emotion and unsaid things, and it's just really really lovely. Not had the chance to read it yet,
3: but I know, uh, and, and I've got it on my on my Christmas list, so hopefully I've been uh, been good enough to get it this year. But um, I know I know it's uh, I, I saw uh, I think Tim Birb picked up on it, Cat, and, and said yeah. it, was like his, it probably his favourite book of the year as well, which is kind of high praise. So um, yeah, it's definitely one I'm going to pick up.
4: Yeah, Tim and I both bought it at Caff, um and we were sort of talking about it a little bit. But, yeah, it's just fantastic.
0: Lovely stuff. Ricky, do you want to let us know? Uh, I, I didn't write any other books this
2: year. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, m- much like probably you guys, I pretty much expect that my book of the year is sitting in my to-read tari- pile, <laughs> um, which has some incredible stuff in it, uh, including the John McNaught book. And also, I'm really looking forward to the the lie and how we told it by Tom Parrish, which I think is, looks looks really great. But what what I've chosen is, and to preface it, I, I guess what, especially this year where there's been quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of books I've edited, I, I tend to like to read stuff that isn't really like anything else that we're doing, so. I've been reading Mr. Miracle, which is a 12-part miniseries by Tom King and Mitch Gerrard. And it comes from DC Comics. You may have heard of them. And (laughs) it's a superhero book. But if anyone read uh, Tom King's Vision series, uh, which was one of the best things I read last year, then they'll kind of know a bit more of what to expect, which is it's quite dark. It's very don't want to say realistic but it's more kind of focused on character and the emotions and essentially it opens with the first two issues were incredibly bleak I, I i thought we'd gone too far because it kind of opens where mr miracle was tried to commit suicide essentially and he's got massive depression issues and it's kind of how he comes back from that and then he's got a newborn son and him dealing with that. And also him and his wife, um, big Barda, who is awesome in this book have this all at war with apocalypse, which gets very, very bloody kills off a lot of characters while they're also trying to look after their baby and deal with the depression. But After about the third issue, where I don't know if it was intentional or not, and suddenly they thought, oh, God, this has gone a bit too bleak. It gets very, very funny. So I can, yeah, and it ends very satisfyingly. I just read the final issue of it yesterday. Um, The artwork is absolutely beautiful, uh, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's really good superhero comics.
3: I think I'm up to about issue 8 on it. So I've got a bit of catching up to do but um yeah I mean you mentioned it to me reckon you said um you know it starts it starts in a pretty dark place. Um and I think I came to it after two or three issues so I managed to you know kind of get get beyond that quite quickly but it is, it is remarkable superhero comics to to the point where you know I was I'm looking I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing it off now. I'm, I might wait for the trade I'm not sure because I think it would be an absolutely wonderful collection but um Yeah, I I think he's by far the best superhero comic I've read this year.
0: I had a similar response to you, Ricky, where I like uh, Mr. Miracle and Big Bard are my favourite couple in superhero comics. I think they're just like uh, a a brilliant pair and great characters. And I I got to know them through sort of the the justice league international uh the the sort of uh late 80s um but obviously they they predate that quite substantially and were created by jack kirby when he went over to dc having left marvel under a bit of a cloud in the 70s and as i say like you i was a bit sort of dubious because mr miracle is he's a superpowered escapologist that uses alien technology to sort of sell his act and and you know uh, he's a he's a fun bright uh, character who flies around on like in, invisible discs, and to have him sort of thrown into this thing, I was like, oh, this is very new comics, and not it? To sort of oh to do it, <laughs> like, let's break this guy because this guy will really look good broken. But it sort of makes every bit of sense as you read it, and as you say, the tone really does lift. And uh, like as you say in the in the in the comic, uh, they have a baby, and uh, they name him Jacob, which would have been. Tom King naming their baby after uh, Jack Kirby. Um, and that did, that really got to me for, you know, uh, a superhero comic about a made-up baby. Uh, it really did. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was uh, tremendous. And really interesting art as well. The use of the nine-panel grids and um, great sort of, I mean, you've got classic character designs in there, but uh, Gerard's take on him is, is really strong. And a good job of carrying the sort of, human emotion of uh, when they take the mask off as well. Sarah?
1: Um, I have chosen something a bit left field. It's Window Pane by Joe Kessler uh, published by Breakdown Press and I guess for the sake of full disclosure, I do work a bit with Breakdown Press also. Um, but that's not why I've picked this. It's just really <laughs> good. It kept being described to me with all kinds of terms that I don't normally like to apply to books like narr- er, sorry, um, experimental, progressive, Um, And to be honest, it's a narrative comic. It's got some quite trippy storytelling going on, and it's an absolute delight to read. Um, Joe has a real great sense of color and style, but it's got this feel that it's been drawn almost with like Crayola markers that you get when you're a kid. And there's these big, bright, thick, heavy lines in a lot of reds, yellows, greens. It's very sort of primary colours, but because of the nature of the stories, which are often kind of a bit like you're being warned or you're not really sure what they're trying to teach you, but there's some kind of lesson in there. Um, The fact that there's this kind of childlike marker sense of the way it's been drawn makes it very disconcerting because kind of imagining it's very sort of, you know, fun and gleeful and then suddenly something kind of dark happens Um, But at times it's very sweet, it can be weirdly sexy, but I mean, it's absolutely, every single page is like an eye-gasm. I mean, his artwork is really wonderful. I know that some of it has been reproduced in previous issues of Windowpane, but this is a collection with a few new stories and a few old ones. But actually, this is the first time I've come across, not Joe's work, but the Windowpane kind of anthology. So um, it's a real trip to read The, the day I got it from them. It's got this most amazing new book smell. It's a really beautiful object. It's printed gorgeously. I read it, and then I immediately started from the beginning and read it again. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, um, it does a lot with very few words, and it leaves you just feeling a bit strange. I think it's everything a good book should do. You ask questions, but you're not really sure what it is you're even asking about. Um, I definitely recommend it if you like big, bright, bold colors and... Um, feeling a bit confused in hallucinogenic ways. <laughs> uh, so it's a real delight. Um one of my favorite things is the end. Uh, he does his thank yous, but they are also apologies. And included on there is um Hokusai. There's um you can definitely see a bit of sort of woodblocky lithographic influence in the drawings. It's um it's very beautiful. Highly recommend. <laughs>
0: yeah I've not seen that collection, but I remember from window pane one there's a particular bit I'm sure it's in there where uh there's this is page um where it's uh this massive sort of blazing inferno, and there's this animal on fire and like that image has stuck in my head since the first time I saw it like three years ago so he he's a he's a yeah tremendous artist
1: yeah they there are quite a few images like that that stay in your mind because they it goes through periods of kind of Well, it's very sort of film art students, some kind of weird wiggly pains, and then suddenly it'll focus in on something, and it's so stark and eye-catching, and um, it just really stays with you. (laughs) uh, But there's also some real loveliness in there. I did find a bit of it made me feel a bit anxious at the end, but a few of them really made me think, oh, how nice. (laughs) There's one about sort of a sailor who has a bit of an affair on land, and I thought it was very sweet.
3: Yeah, I'm going to pick up the, the the collection. I've got a couple of the earlier issues, and I think I, I always I was always kind of intrigued by you know Joe, Joe's playfulness with with his art and you know what, what he was creating. So I'm really pleased I've collected it together because I think I'm sure it, I've, I've seen some pictures of it online, but it looks
1: it looks beautiful.
0: I made a bold choice with my selection in that um, I've never heard the creator's name said out loud and I could well mispronounce both the forename and the surname. So let's uh, let's give it a go. But I think, Ricky, um you might have chosen one of her stories last year. So if yeah, I say yeah. Carolyn Novak, is that correct? I don't know. I, I always say Novak. OK. Yeah, I mean, that's how it's spelled. Well, yeah. Um, essentially, people can Google it. The book is called Girl Town. Uh, it's Carolyn with a Y at the end, uh, Novak, N-O-W-A-K. It's um, a collection of, and this is, I think every year pretty much a a book like this ends up being my favourite book of the year because it feels, I feel so blessed to be reading comics at a time when things from anthologies that didn't necessarily make it to the UK or very limited distribution in the UK or self-published or limited distribution comics are collected together by a publisher and get, Wide distribution, so it's really easy to get hold of it. So this is collected together and put out by uh, Top Shelf, and includes things from uh, an ed- edition of Shortbox, as we were talking about earlier. Did, was it? Did you choose Dinah's Electric Tongue as your, as your thing last yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah, you're right. It's very good. I hadn't read it at that point, but <laughs> <laughs> so essentially we've chosen that two years now. I guess that makes it like the comic of the decade or something. <laughs> um, so well, like, I, I think it's I think it's a contender. Oh, it's it's tremendous. But it wasn't even my favorite story in this book I mean that's the the level we're talking at going back to something that um Kat said earlier, when you do get a selection or an anthology, you know you, you sort of go oh you know i don't didn't necessarily enjoy everything, but I did really enjoy these and this was this is uh just hit after hit after hit, um incredible range of color palettes and typography and um just the the, the layout is such a rich uh, read um my favorite story is one called radishes which is about these two women who go to uh, a food market um like a farmers market and uh the food there does different things to them i'm not going to go into too much more detail um but she really again it's that thing of Um, What do comics do well? And it's this thing where it sort of comics can play with the sort of elasticity of its internal reality really well in a way that if things go surreal, I think in other media, it can quite quickly look like that. Whereas in this, I don't know, it just seems to transition quite naturally into it. Um, It's also uh, hilarious uh, and heartbreaking in a way that it has no right to be uh, to, to either extreme um like to be able to do either of those things is very good but able to do both within the same uh book is uh sort of miraculous and uh, you know i think Carolyn novak is going to end up being if she carries on this sort of trajectory uh one of the best sort of cartoons we've got within a, a few years
2: yeah i absolutely agree uh I think her uh, writing is extraordinary as yeah. well. Yeah, the just, voices
0: of the characters, uh, the phrasing—I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's there's no there's no weak points, is there?
2: Uh, and that, actually, I just remember there wasn't uh, Diana's Electric Tongue. That that was a year before. I think I spoke about that. It was um it was a different book. I, I can't remember what it's called now. But, oh, okay. Uh, which just goes to show just how much great work she puts out. Really. Yeah,
0: we're losing track of which of uh, her brilliant things are our favorite. That's not not a bad problem to have, is it? <laughs> so having done that very specific business of us reviewing the year in terms of Avery Hill and comics we've enjoyed generally, we're going to play around a bit now and just basically choose our favourite things in the broadest possible sense uh, from this year or things we've enjoyed this year from other years. I'm going to do this quite quickfire, so if anyone's got anything...
3: I'll, I'll start with um, something I read this year, <clears throat> um, but it came out in 2010, uh, a novel called Skippy Dies by Paul Murray, an author I wasn't aware of before, but this, this book was recommended to me. <clears throat> and really quickly, it's and I'm not giving anything away here because it's, it's in the first few pages of the book, it, the, the eponymous character, Daniel Skippy Juster, who's a schoolboy at a boarding school in Dublin, within the first few pages of the book, he dies. And then the rest of the book covers the period... Events leading up to, to him dying and then the aftermath. But it, it, it's an incredible, incredible piece, piece of writing. It, it, it's sprawling, it's about six, 650, 700 pages. Um, it's got a huge cast of characters um, from Skippy's schoolmates, teachers at the school he's at, um, families, friends, and so on. And it's almost – I kind of best, best liken it to it's almost Catch-22 in its scope and and and, and kind of and, – and Paul Murray, he, he's almost kind of heller-esque in, in his in his use of language and his playfulness. It's an incredibly funny book, incredibly funny. It's absurd at times. Uh, it goes to places that, that make no sense whatsoever, and then he ties it all back together really skillfully. It's also a very sad book, and, it, and you know, there are real, real moments of um, – uh, and and like i say kind of that kind of heller-esque approach of being um basing it in the humor and then shocking you out of that with a moment of clarity or or, or real horror um as i say it's, it's absolutely it's it's huge in its in its um scope Re- I mean, and it's it's the funniest book and, and probably the best book i've read for for a long long time it, it, it surprised me just kind of how good it was. The person who recommended it to me was pretty vociferous about it, but as I've never heard of it, it was kind of, I, I thought I'd give it a crack, but it, it, it's, it's absolutely blown me away. It's um, I've, I've, I'm going to try and recommend it to everyone be, uh, that, that I come across. I'm going to lend it to people because it's, um, for, and, and the, the thing that kind of surprised me, I've not heard anything about it. Um, it was awarded, it was kind of nominated for a couple of awards at the time, but it wasn't someone or an, an author I was aware of, and it's just, um, it was completely right up right up my alley. So um, yeah, I we I, 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 I keep saying this, highly recommend it. But it's um, it's an incredible book, and and I'd recommend it to anyone.
0: Lovely stuff, Kat. Uh,
4: yeah, I've got another comic recommendation, which I thought was from this year, but it turns out it was from last year. Um, and it's another short box one. It's um, a comic called The Worst by Molly Mendoza, and it's brilliant. It's quite a, a short simple sort of story but but very sort of layered um, and it's just about sort of human relationships and interactions and uh, friendship sort of going wrong but it's just got really fantastic artwork really striking and also it's got a lovely narrative device of the story being told kind of from the point of view of these two characters who are outside of the main story commenting on it Which really helps to kind of complicate, to show how complicated human relationships are, because they'll both sort of talk about something that happened with these two main characters, but have opposing views on whether they were right or wrong or whatever. Um, So it just manages to be a really kind of layered, interesting story um, with amazing artwork. Um, The two main characters are swimmers, so it's got all these, this sort of fish imagery, which is really stunning. I don't know if any of you guys have read it.
0: I've not, no. No.
4: Yeah, it's. I mean, everything from Shortbox is brilliant, but um, that was one I particularly enjoyed from last year.
0: Lovely stuff, Ricky.
2: Um, so mine's going to be uh, superheroes on film and television because it's been another great year for those. I think and it's just constantly pleasing and surprising just how well they're they're doing those things. Uh, especially, I really love the the Daredevil. The latest series of Daredevil and the last series of Daredevil, um, unfortunately, uh, which has drawn a lot on Born Again. Who, if anyone's ever read the uh, classic Frank Miller and David Mack Kelly book, they did it really well. It's not as dark as Born Again because nobody wants the TV version of Karen Page being a heroin addict, but uh, it was really good, really enjoyable, and the characterization of Wilson Fisk has been pretty incredible uh and the, also the uh, latest Avengers film which was jolly good fun and very well done to all concerned
0: I'm trying to sort of like sort out my films of the year at the moment and you know I'm trying really hard not to put Infinity War at number one because I went to see it at the cinema four times when was the last time I did that for a film. It's crazy. <laughs> I was like, I haven't seen it in three D I better go and see it again in three D, just in case. Yeah, I didn't see anything <laughs> extra, but it was in three D it was good. But similarly, you know, I I don't think I can make any sort of definitive call on films or specifically superhero films without seeing Into the Spider Verse, which looks tremendous and has had sort of near universal acclaim, uh particularly from comics fans, which is uh Yeah, I, a I, I good don't know if you about that actually.
2: Is it a cartoon or is it live uh, It's animated, low-backed? yeah.
0: Oh, okay. And what's interesting is like people were like blown away going, these designs are great and it looks wonderful on screen. And then clearly uh, he had an NDA because the day it was like uh, went preview-free, uh, Jim Mafood was like, yeah, I did loads of work on Into the spider And I was like, this is why it's good. So, yeah, it's a Jim Mafood infused animated exploration of multiple versions of Spider-Man. What a time to be alive. What a time to be going to the I cinema as a comics man.
2: I know, I I remember when the uh, first season of Daredevil came out and I I did sit there, I I got about halfway through the season I was like, I'm watching a really good version of Daredevil on TV, Mm. like tell that to my teenage self that that would one day be possible and it's not rubbish because back then you just like literally everything that they did with superheroes on film or TV was pretty awful apart from the Batman stuff. And even that got quite bad after a while. So to, to see them actually making this stuff. And it's the times we're living in where the uh, the geeks have taken over control of the means of production. And they're uh, remembering all the good comics they used to read and trying to do stuff like it.
3: Uh, I've not finished it yet because I kind of got a little bit jaded by the, the last, um, the second Luke Cage series in Ironfish. So but I will go back to it. I mean, I think I think Daredevil's probably suffered from the reactions to the series in and around it on Netflix. But um, yeah, I, I didn't even
2: know the third season had come out yeah. <laughs> until <laughs> I was just like looking through, and I was like, "What there are new
3: episodes?" Yeah, yeah. same, same here. Um, and of course, um, Black Panther as well, which I only saw this year, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, I watched.
2: Um, Black Panther with my girlfriend the other day and she hates comics, superheroes and anything to do with it and she really liked Black Panther so yeah what a great year for comics uh, and also all those actors on Twitter as well are, yeah. are a joy
3: yeah yeah
2: Chris yeah. Evans thinks he's Captain America and he's <laughs> the most lovable thing going on on social media <laughs> <laughs> he,
3: he might be Captain America That's I think good. he is yeah he <laughs> might be <laughs>
0: Uh, Sarah?
1: I saw a film yesterday that really delighted me. Um, I think it's actually from last year, but it was the Coen Brothers' Ballad of Buster Scruggs.
0: No, that's very well, this I year. That's like yeah, three weeks old. Last week. It's wonderful, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, is
1: it quite old? I only just no, saw it no, it's like I it, it, was it
0: dropped on Netflix like a month ago. Right, that's why I saw it. No, it's very new, like it debuted on Netflix, and my only regret about seeing the film was I watched it on my computer, and it was so beautiful.
1: Gorgeously shot, thing as you would expect from the Coen brothers. Yeah. It was a bit Tarantino, I mean, I know the Coens have always done sort of stylish violence, but there was quite a lot of that, um, which I don't love, but it was also just really good fun, little joyful western. There was also
0: lovely little cartoony bits, like the bit where the guy gets shot through the hat and the the hole's perfectly round, like it's... uh, Yosemite yeah, Sam that shot him it was um
1: yeah <laughs> and Tom Waits who every time yeah. he appears in a movie proves time and time again to be my favorite actor on the planet is really fun he has a gold panner um, yeah. there's also some really tragic bits in it i I got very sobby I won't Yeah, see what there's
0: one one that's heartbreaking and one that's just designed to destroy you
1: and, Yeah, uh, she need not have done it um yeah it's just a lot of fun so again for people who like a bit of Wonky, weird storytelling and beautiful visuals. I think uh, it's a good one.
2: Yeah, it it, it was too bleak for me. I, I I was like, yeah. I tried to watch it on a Friday night after work, and I was like, oh my god, like, what terrible we'd thing we'd is going to happen next?
1: You know, I wouldn't <laughs> have called it a Friday night movie, but it, it is a bit bleak. But it's not, it's not as bad as like Requiem for a Dream or something. Like oh I god me. after, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't feel that nice. <laughs> it wasn't as fun as a lot of other Coen Brothers movies.
3: You are a very pure soul, Ricky, so... I am,
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> I
2: just wish well on everybody, that's the problem. Yeah, you really,
3: really... really, really. I, d- I didn't realise it was on Netflix, though. I didn't realise it was... Well, I saw it, but I didn't realise yeah, it Yeah, I was- think it was like a co-production thing, so it sort of yeah. debuted on Netflix as it
0: uh, previewed at the cinema, which I say was great in terms of convenience, but it's so beautiful. But then, like, you just feel if you went cinema garden, you see it on IMAX, a new IMAX, you know, I need to just be in Oregon watching this on the screen that then bleeds into the... The landscape behind it, I think.
3: That is an expensive trip to the cinemas, though. <laughs> yeah,
0: just just watch it on Netflix, innit? You're fine. Just watch it on your computer on Netflix, mate. <laughs> Not as expensive as
2: seeing Avengers four times, especially since in Central London.
0: <laughs> to be fair, no, no. One of those was at the Peckhamplex, so that sort of oh, okay. defrays the cost of the others, doesn't it? <laughs> So I've had a couple of choices, and I could go sort of bleak or joyful. And I'm going to go joyful, and it sort of reiterates something we spoke about earlier, but in a slightly different spin, in that I'm going to pick Spider-Man, the video game on the PlayStation 4, which is testament to how good these characters are when they're done right, and how flexible they are, and how many different media they can work in, and how you can sort of take the core idea and... uh, Theme of the story And twist it a little bit and, and make it into something new Also It's just a thing Where you put on a machine And you press some buttons And you're Spider-Man Swinging through New York And It brings me Constant joy I completed the game And then immediately restarted it Because I never Don't want to be swinging Through New York on, on webs It's wonderful
3: Kind of almost Made me buy a PlayStation 4 Which would be A disaster For For everything I ever want to do In my life Outside <laughs> of Spider-Man So it's I mean, close. It's getting, the good it's getting, news it's getting,
0: for me is it sounds out like all I want to do is swing through New York on webs, <laughs> exactly, so it's absolutely yeah. fine. I've sort of, I'm sort of toying whether to just weld the disc into the machine and accept it's now a Spider-Man simulator, just ignoring yeah. all the other possibilities of it.
2: Maybe they'll bring out like a Tarzan in New York film or something, Steve, <laughs> that you, you, could,
0: you could do. Just for a bit of variety. <laughs> I don't want variety. I want to swing through the streets <laughs> of uh, New York. Now, um, it's the first game I've You're sort good, of... Into,
3: you're not
0: but, listening to me. I want to be Spider-Man. <laughs> to be, be, be yeah, there's um, one of the things in the game is they've got like 30 different variant costumes you can get. Uh, and I am like, I look at them and then go, I'm just going to go with the original costume. And I, I want to be <laughs> Spider-Man. I don't want to be brand new day Spider-Man, do I? Come on. Um, yeah, it's um, wonderful. And again, just uh, an, another testament to, you know, how widespread and popular comics are. Now, they've always made comics video games, but, you know, these things are turning into phenomena now. Thanks, everyone.
3: Oh, thank you, Steve. Cheers, Steve.
0: <laughs> Have a Merry Christmas, everyone.
1: Happy if, times, everybody.
0: I hope you all get a PlayStation 4 and Spider-Man.
1: If I, I,
3: if I don't, <laughs> there's no going to be a There's going to be a tantrum and a half if I don't get do it. You know, let's... You know, absolutely spoil Christmas, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. See you later. See
0: you
1: later. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 See you later. Bye.
0: This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy. start by letting the team introduce themselves? Anyone. <laughs> there's, no, there's no wrong answer. I, it can't be me, because I've done it. <laughs> Let's do it in reverse alphabetical what order. What kind of <laughs> hosting
2: is this, Steve? You have to, like, tell us. We're Thank on you. different Thank rooms. <laughs> uh, I right. hear my heater in the background, by the way.
0: Yeah, the,
2: is that Rick, coming across? Ricky,
0: we've got, that's the least of our problems, not it? Hope, <laughs> I mean, hopefully. Let's hope that a heater's coming through. <laughs> so he's
3: going give it his own channel, it's fine. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll
3: raise it in the mix.
0: I'll put some hi-hat next to it and we can get a drum bass track out of it. It's going to be great. Any sort of... We can have a, a general chat. It doesn't matter if we overlap there or not. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. Whatever that is, let's never do it again.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's
1: more <laughs> of that in. Is that, that your heater? Put,
2: no, that's someone putting shutters down in one of the other offices.
0: Okay, good. In the so, office. Good. No, good. No, no.
1: So,
0: I was like, if that is the heater, we can definitely hear it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> go and go and tell him, Ricky. Go and tell him what's happening here and how. <laughs> that's fine. Up.
0: the thing about sounds like that is you definitely spot them and you definitely take them out. They're really good. <laughs> Before we carry on. Uh, my dad's back, so I can move back upstairs now. Um, <laughs> just because Chew, Chew was getting a bit, he, there was a couple of barks threatening to come out there. So I'm going to do that just to just to secure the uh, the sound cage. Does um, he actually sent you to your bedroom, Steve? Without my supper, can you believe it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> had my supper, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ch- Ch- is my supper. On. I'm going to process record the rest of it so that you can. Just make noise. You can sing your little songs and your dog can yeah. bark and it'll all be. You turn the on. Yeah, it go nuts. <laughs> Not too loud. Yeah. <laughs> no rocking and rolling, please. Come on. <laughs> Got neighbours.
1: <laughs> your
3: time doesn't mate. Perfect. <coughs> uh... Please keep
2: this in. Yeah, please, please. For me walking upstairs. Yeah, this is coming to yourself. It was very David Cameron. How dare you?
0: There's a a limit
1: to a joke, yeah? (laughs) Yeah.